0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Inside Story on BFM 89.9
2: Good evening, this is Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, it's all about the freshly minted Padu portal.
3: First, we'll be speaking to Dr. Lao Han, who played a part in developing the portal, and then later on, we'll be speaking to Dr. Rachel Gong of KRI on how Padu can stay relevant and effective in the long term.
2: So, let us know what are your thoughts on this new database. Have you registered for Padu? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It is 6.08 and uh, you might have seen the buzz. Padu was launched officially yesterday, uh, the Pankalan Data Utama uh, or the Central Database Hub. Um, and it was launched by the PM, Datuk Shri Anwar Ibrahim. And it is, of course, meant to do um, a couple of things, right? It's meant to function as a central, uh, exactly as that name, a central repository of data, Uh Particularly in this case, uh, to ensure efficient delivery of subsidies, um, it is also supposed to. Um, it is supposed to fall. It will fall under the Department of Statistics, and uh, includes nearly three hundred types of data, except for banking data.
3: Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, somebody reading this or just casually listening to the news might think, oh, this is not for me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm never going to get sub- a subsidy of any sort. Uh, and so say, well, I don't really have to participate. But I think that, you know, when we look of modern governance, the ch- uh, chances are it's good to be, um, you know, uh, on, a gen, on the general system and for everybody to be plugged in because you never know in a crisis situation whether these channels are going to be the channels that the government is going to uh, push through some aid or support that you will need. And so there is, I think, an incentive for all of us to get on board. Then comes the buzz. With the buzz came a few complications, in not
2: Okay, so yes, there have already been complaints and things that um, apparently weren't working so well. I did want to say that registration for Padu is currently open. Malaysians are being highly encouraged to verify and update their data. um, And that's until the 31st of March this year. And uh, before we get to the complications, actually to your point, Sherad, it does look like they have larger plans for this data, right? Because the omnibus bill is going to be tabled soon and that will actually allow for data Data sharing between ministries and agencies via the PADU database. So it does look like while at the moment the, the clearest example of that data being used is for the targeted subsidies, uh, that it looks like there will be more ways in which this will become useful, um, as you said, for the business of governance, right? But getting to the concerns after the launch yesterday... So a couple of things have come up. Um, A user on X highlighted a loophole within the system and talked about how he had used Padu's API to override a third party's password by using that person's IC number. Now, the economy minister has since addressed the security flaw by changing the API. um, But other complaints that have come up, um, including from former Meti Deputy Minister Ong Kian Meng, who said that he could use the IC number of other people to register them on Padu. um, And to this, uh, Rafizi said that the verification process, which is called e-know your customer, uh, could be completed within minutes and that these are not co- the registration is not complete if that process is not done. Um, other issues that have come up is that uh, there was data missing in several columns within Padu. So, of course, these are all... It's good that people are highlighting these issues, right? Um, but I think what this also highlights is a certain um, cynicism or, or perhaps uh, hesitation on the part of many Malaysians to fully sign on to an initiative like this.
3: Yeah, so uh, so I think people are genuinely and legitimately concerned about uh, breaches um, that we've had in the past, or leakage of data. Uh, you know, I just today, you know, found that I was, uh, that, you know, my credit card that probably was, uh, information was leaked and, and somebody had been using it. So, you know, it happens on a d- almost daily basis. We, we are confronted with the fact that data can be so powerful as a way of promoting good governance. But at the same time, there are these attendant dangers. And I, I wonder if this particular um, failure to, um, you know, find this flaw or loophole, um, you know, will lessen trust in the government in, in rolling this out, which is unfortunate because I think this is a great initiative. If they have gotten everything right about it, especially the security of the data, then you know, I think you'd, you'll have a greater buy-in. So without the trust, you're not going to have a great buy-in. Without the buy-in, uh, you're not going to have um, a system that can fully function, right? Because what you do need is to get as many people on board.
2: So we will actually have with us uh, Dr. Lau Han uh, very shortly who was involved in the development of the PADU database. So if you have questions for him, um, you can send that through. Um, of course, the number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. 2900. Uh, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp at 18 789 at BFM Radio. Um, as I said, after this, we'll be speaking with Dr. Lau Han. Uh, but in the meantime, do send your thoughts through as well. What are your thoughts? on this database, have you registered? We will continue the conversation after this. Uh, In the meantime, stay tuned to Inside Story, BFM 89.9.
1: Best for money, BFM 89.9. It
2: is 6.14, you're listening to... Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about PADU, the database that was just launched yesterday. Um, and we've been asking you for your thoughts. What are your thoughts on it? Um, have you registered? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us. You can also send through questions you have for our guest. Because joining us now, we have Dr. Lau Chirhan, CEO of Accio Technologies, who was also involved in the uh, development of PADU. Uh, Chehan, good to have you with us. Hi, good evening
4: and hello, everyone.
2: So, let's start with a little bit of background on the role you and your team played in the development of Padu.
4: Sure. So, first of all, disclaimer, we didn't build the, the website or anything, but we, we handled the model building and then we help them to collect the data, clean the data, and then to verify against the previous rule sets, etc. So, basically, it can cause the, the machine learning engineers, is also we're also part of the team.
3: Yeah. So what were the considerations that you had in mind when developing the platform, especially uh, or or participating in its development, especially in terms of what is the best channel to, say, for instance, target subsidies?
4: So the the very main thing is actually twofold. The problem is twofold, right? First is the people who need to receive the subsidy, they are either not aware or they did not receive the subsidy they they deserve, they should be receiving. And then the second one, of course, is people who is no longer in the status of eligible, you know, kelayakan for the subsidy, and they are still receiving subsidy, and we need to find out who are they and why are they still receiving those subsidies. So these are our main... uh, Job When we first started the project.
3: Can I just follow up on that and whether this when you know when the initial idea of you know, using the system for targeted subsidies, uh, is that is that a limitation or can uh, the system grow to be something bigger than just how to channel uh, targeted subsidies?
4: Actually, not quite that. I think Baby Rafizi put it in a very nice way and a very right way. Is that the near real time? So a lot of time we rely on the consensus, right? The the census, sorry, the the ban-ti. and then uh, we do it like every once every five years, once once every ten years. And some people even like I read the comments as well. They say we can link it to LHDN database, for example. But don't forget, we only make our income tax claims once a year. So a lot of the situations of those people who uh, who need the uh, subsidy and they need it like right now or they need it yesterday. So this, I think, Padu is is out there to help to solve this problem as fast as possible and as much as we can.
2: Johan, we do have a caller on the line. Uh, good evening, William. What are your What's your question for Johan?
4: Hello. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for having
1: me. Hello, Doctor. So, if Hello. I'm not mistaken, I heard you say earlier that you're not in charge of the website building process, just the backend. Yep. Okay, yes. understood. So, because my earlier question was that I'm sure you've heard of all of the security difficulties in the Padu website. So now I want to change it slightly. So, what is your experience working in such a team where you know basic penetration testing and is not included in this? And how how is your experience working here? Why is there an, even an issue of this scale in the first place? Thank you.
4: Sure. Sure. So actually, from my experience, when we were working with the data team, we tried to gather the data. There are a lot of difficulties for us as well. Like we need to sign a lot of things and then go through a lot of departments or the signatures before we can actually get access to the the data. And we don't get the full data uh, or we don't get the data with unique identifier. We don't really know people's IC number most of the time. So that that is one thing that I can assure you that is that uh, even internally, we don't have access to those data. Uh, One thing that I think what roughly uh, teams can do better is that maybe don't don't straight record a launch, but maybe we can have some sort of like beta period. Or this is something like even in your know, uh, tech startups or tech companies, we have this sort of mistake too. Yeah, I I think that is totally agree with you, William. The that's a mistake that can be avoided, but just that we we didn't we didn't really handle it very well at the before the launch. Yeah.
2: So actually, to extend that point, what was the process like in terms of testing and review? the platform before it was officially launched
4: so for normal websites usually we'll go through a process like we build a staging uh, environment so we get people to test it and then we send it to the final testing before we actually launch it into the production database uh, we launch it into the production environment and then of course we will work with uh, cyber security experts to conduct the proper pen test and work with different like hats and uh grey hat hackers just to make sure that the system is as secure as possible. And they probably look into that also, but they, they look into more on the things like uh the server overloading and then they install something like the Cloudflare or the CAPTCHA behind the scene, etc. So that those are our their concerns and they, they, they just mis mislook the point that uh people can just look into the API and get the raw information from there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, so okay for us who are not technically minded, um, the API is an application programming interface. So I just learned this like two seconds ago. Uh, <laughs> so you know, uh, could you please explain to us in layman terms what this API means?
4: Okay, sure. Now, that that is absolutely fair. Uh, b- so I'll give you an example, right? Today, let's say you run a restaurant, and then you have people who dine in. You have a teacher, and then you have the delivery guy, uh, who came and pick up your food and and send it to your customers. So among these departments or these. Uh, functional units, you need to send data to them. So somebody come in, they order the food, you need to send the order to the kitchen. When the kitchen has done cooking the food, they need to send the notification to the waitress, waiters or to the delivery guy. So all this data, they need an interface to exchange to send the data
2: and the ministry did respond actually to, to this, uh, this loophole and thank the person who highlighted the floor. How important is this sort of uh, feedback and is this part and parcel of the improvement process? Definitely. So
4: usually uh, when we launch any sort of website, we will will have a proper feedback loop like this. So the users will give us feedback. They will tell us, uh, oh, I cannot log in. You know, that's very normal. And then we will will fix it. And to to be fair, right, when was the last time we see a government initiative launch a website or the functions that uh, so many people log in into it and then use it together and give feedback? The last time I can recall is probably the time when we were registering for our vaccines.
3: All right. Uh, and that's uh, that was another interesting, um, you know, initiative. Because I think it was meant to be built into something more than just an outlast COVID, right? But I want to ask you about, you know, this particular event, because it's, it's sort of marred the, the launch. Uh, it's, you know, raised questions about uh uh, the capabilities of the people behind it, and so on and so forth. I mean, do you think uh, people should be or have a legitimate right to be concerned about the system itself, considering this very, um, for some people say, very fundamental problem that has been uh, highlighted?
4: I wouldn't say this is a like a very fundamental problem so well. I would say yeah, it, it's definitely some low level errors and we, we should uh have something more prepared, at least in, in the SOP. So it's absolutely I'm I'm now speaking as a user and users who use website web services. Yes, it's a concern because uh but it's also it's in a good way that if this happens now then later, right? Yeah. So I I think it's it's a, it's a good thing, yeah. but it's legitimate, totally legitimate for the Rakyat to worry about
2: it. So one thing that was brought up by the uh, former Deputy Minister of Mithi, Ong Kian uh, was that the uh, in terms of the registration flow, he said that he could potentially use the IC number of a different person to register himself on Padu. Other users were also saying that they've been able to see um, a few sorts of personal data before the verification process. Uh what do you know about what's being done to mitigate this? What would some potential solutions be? Okay, so the the the, the problem this happens is that when we sign
4: up, when we sign up for Padu, and then they only use the uh, they use the IC number as the your identifier as your username, and then from there, uh, anybody with with the knowledge of your IC number can use that to register. So now they have fixed it. I think uh, Wabi Rafizi also made a, a statement that uh, the. Registration is not completed until the EKYC process is complete. That means you scan the front and back of your documents and then take a selfie, etc.
3: Yeah, so do we have um, a listener uh, who's asked a question, John. Uh, John says, what's the safeguard against someone hijacking personal data?
4: Okay, so hijacking is another t- totally different issues that is uh, happening on the back end. So what we were doing is we have to make sure that there are at least uh, multiple copies of the backups and we have different security layers installed. So there are two things, the author- authorization and the authentication. So only the right authenticated personnel who have the authorized rights are allowed to access those data, those raw data from the back end. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, when we were working on the data set itself, we don't really have the rights. We only get a small set, subset of the copy of the data. And every time when we need some extra data, we have to request. So these are some of the uh, prevention measures that uh, we have put in.
2: Liana has a uh, an interesting point to bring up so first Liana says I've attempted to fill in the form uh, some info was auto-filled uh, which is good uh, because this means they've integrated with other government platforms but then they asked us to determine our own salary how do they know I'm not lying why couldn't they integrate this with LHDN information um, and I wanted to use that as a starting point to talk about uh, how well Padu um, rides on or integrates with other existing databases we already have
4: so, uh, like I said earlier, right, the situation changed. And for most of us, our, our income is pretty stable and we don't have too much to worry about. But for those people who are really below the poverty line, their income is really not stable and it, it changes every every month, if not every week. So that is the, the, the situation that those people are facing and those are the primary target audience that uh, Padu is supposed to help. And then on the second uh, topic is that uh, that's where the digital uh, national id comes in so once we have the digital id comes in then we can link it up with other uh, government database to get uh, the other the remaining data that we need to have it yeah so right now we only have access to some of them but not all of them
3: so, Chehan, you know, you, in some ways, we, we need to talk about this, the digital divide in this country. And that the, and precisely the people who need it might be the people who are least capable of accessing the system because they are on that side of the digital divide, right? For questions of education or because of poverty or opportunities. Uh, how does the system think about those people who are kind of slightly off the grid,
4: Yep, this is a very good question, and we have thought of it as well. So the thing is, uh, before that, when we want to reach out to these people, we have to send you know ground staff and then to do the survey, etc. So if we, the the current way that Padu is supposed to help is those people who need that and they need to come to the. Uh, the, the system to register themselves and submit the information. So I think this is where uh, we as a, as a media, as content creator companies, and also uh, local YBs, we can help and work together to bring the knowledge of this service to more people. And I, I say, if you know that somebody is in need and you they don't know about Padu or they are not aware about it, just tell them and advise them to register themselves, help them or go to their YBs.
2: Jirhan, um we have a couple of minutes left. Now, there's been talks about whether Padu is the first step towards Malaysia being our version, uh, towards Malaysia having our own version of SingPass. Is this where we're heading? I mean, in short, what's in store for Padu in the future?
4: So, right now, the, the first thing that we have seen, right, is that we are, we are gathering the data, and then the second step is building the models, and we look into different use cases, and extend the use cases to not just the traditional low-income people. We also need to look into giving some uh, better uh, tax rate for those people who run businesses, for example, or for people like petrol subsidy on, on different scenarios. And this is, the petrol subsidy is the next big thing that we are, we are looking into. And on, on the topic of whether this is the version of SyncPass or not, I think it's a, it's a slightly different thing. So SyncPass is still the equivalent version of our digital ID and it's to link up all the services and we use one set of uh, username and password can access uh, all the services. Yeah, So there's a slight difference, but yeah, definitely one of the key milestones in achieving that.
2: Johan, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Dr. Lau Chirhan, CEO of Accio Technologies, uh, part of um, what I assume is a very large number of people who worked on the development of Padu, which is what we're talking about. Padu was launched yesterday. It is a database uh, of our socioeconomic data. So we've been asking you, what are your thoughts on this? Have you registered? You can call 777 900 Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio.
5: Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
2: It is 6.37. You're listening to Insight Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we are talking about the Padu portal, which was launched just yesterday. Um, and it is, of course, meant to be um, a system, a tool uh, to both store and aggregate uh, Malaysian socioeconomic data but also um, at least in the in the first phase of it to disseminate targeted subsidies so Malaysians are being encouraged to uh, sign up or rather to to join and verify and update their details right so we've been asking you whether um, You've registered, and what your thoughts are on this database? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note, or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note that's come in. This is from Alex.
5: So, with regards to to this Padu launch, you know, a lot of people have been saying there's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of risk on data and etc i just want to highlight right i think i think in today's i think in today's world we are living in 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 a, a world where our data is not safe anyway even in the banks it can be uh, manipulated even in 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 certain platforms like shopee lazada it can be manipulated you know it's not it's not really safe safe 100% i would say and and i think for certain for certain extent there are certain risks that we have to take, you know, uh, in order to 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 help the government to move forward with this initiative, and I think this initiative is it's, it's, it's excellent, and and it's it's I think uh, they're doing something like Singapore, like their SingPass, you know. When I was in Singapore, uh, SingPass thing was excellent. Uh, I registered with Padu, uh, everything was so smooth. Um, I think I think as a as a as a citizen we need to support our government and and, and help them to to establish this, this integrated data system for, for for the future, you know, and, and it really, really, really help uh in long run. I mean that's my point of view.
2: Alex, uh, thank you for those thoughts and uh, for sharing your experience. I'm glad it went well for you, um, and and I think that I hope at least hearing about that uh, might reassure a number of people, some of whom have already messaged in who are feeling um, a little bit averse to perhaps trying or updating their details. And I think your point about um, we already live in a uh, in a world where this is the reality that digital databases and so on are not just um, not. Maybe right now an option, but increasingly starting to seem like the uh, reality for many people. That uh, we perhaps need to be open to this sorts of shifts.
3: Yeah, I Alex put actually Alex, you have a really interesting approach to this, right? That I mean, on one hand you say, well, you know. No system is going to be foolproof, no matter what it is. But we've come to trust our banks. We've come to trust online transactions. Uh, we've come to trust credit cards, uh, you know. And we know there is gaming, fraud, all these things. And yet we trust the system as a whole, right? And I think that's what um, you know. You're saying that in some sense, in order to uh, up the ante on governance, on up the ante on the way in which government operates, we're going to have to have some trust in it and the systems they. Provide. At the same time, you know, I'm glad people are asking tough and critical questions. I'm glad people are testing it. So that it's sort of, you know, the crowd is there to help the government uh, by providing, you know, uh, or looking out for loopholes in the system, because uh, they can only benefit. And I think the government's response to the initial criticism was excellent. That's exactly what you want government to do.
2: I will confess that uh, my immediate thought was, I'll give it a couple of days, see what problems <laughs> crop up, and then I will go and uh, update my details. So I'm not, I know, I understand the people for whom this is a little tough and uh perhaps have all of this um all of these fears that are drummed into us on a daily basis about your data not being safe and what uh you know who might be able to hijack this information, what are they gonna use it for? Um it is actually it is actually quite quite present and sometimes not being tech people, it can also be confusing and you tend to conflate different sorts of ideas of security with something like this. Uh, so it is actually to your point, Sherad, very heartening for me to hear ministers coming out and saying, well, thank you for pointing that out. We're going to try and fix it.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I I think what uh, the feedback is is kind of essential. Uh, Quality feedback is essential. Um, Distrust, I think think we need to maybe make a distinction between a kind of critical response to any new project with um, a a lack of trust. Because the the lack of trust, I think, is quite toxic and quite... um, uh, you know, it has a way of eating at the the possibilities, right, the potential for growth and for improvement, whereas being critical and saying, well, this doesn't work, or having concrete ideas about things can be improved, is a very
2: different uh, t- um, order of pushback against government projects. So Liana is saying, um, why would rich people, quote unquote, sign up? It seems like there's only a downside, i.e. you're excluded from being a subsidy recipient, and no ups- side for them. So, you know, Liana, it is true that as of now, the main thing that they're talking about Padu for uh, is the... uh targeted subsidy system but from reading about it uh, it also seems to me like part of the reason why they're encouraging so many all Malaysians to sign up is that it will become a way uh, for there to be large-scale data socioeconomic data that can then feed into policy making and I can see a lot of use for something like that.
3: Yeah and also you know I think we can't assume that we'll always be on the uh, in the out group uh, rather than the in group. Uh, you know, if there's a policy around, say, women, for instance, then whether you're rich or poor, if all women are going to be targeted by a particular policy and say support, you might be able to avail yourself of it. But if you're not in the system, you don't get that. So not all of us will be permanently, I think, in the out group. Um, and so perhaps the again. The faith that, you know, that in participating we up the ante on on what we can get in terms
2: of this, you know, in terms of good governance. Keep those thoughts coming. We are asking you what your thoughts are on Padu, whether you've registered. You can call 777-332-900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio.
1: Better Finance Management. BFM eighty-nine point nine.
2: BFM 89.9, it is 6.48, you're listening to the... You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about PADU, which was launched just yesterday. Um, it is meant to be a central database of our socioeconomic data. Um, and we've been asking you, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Have you registered? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. So uh, we have a number of thoughts that have come in on this. Um, Arvin says, I got my PADU um, KYC approved after the third attempt, but I still can't understand the purpose because it overlaps with so many other government databases. It's better to have a super app to integrate all other government databases. I think this is going to be a white elephant soon.
3: That's very interesting, uh, Arvin. I'm curious to know why, despite your misgivings uh, or your feelings that this was going to, as you say going to turn into a white elephant um, uh, why and why in not quite fully understanding the purpose of it why you'd signed up or nevertheless right in, in three attempts so was it because you thought that uh, it was worth a try or that you thought that uh, perhaps you uh, the level where you don't quite understand everything yet but it will become clearer in the future I'd really like to know uh, your kind of your attitudes going into this
2: I also find it interesting, Arvind, that, um, I mean, actually, to to your point about why can't we have a super app, um, it feels to me like maybe this is a step in that direction, isn't it? And, And I get the frustration that, you know, with different websites and different logons and different platforms and different apps, that at some point it starts feeling like I'm going to have to download a few hundred different things to just do all the You know, whether it's your road tax or whatever. Right. But um, perhaps Padu could be that way uh, towards integrating all the other databases. I mean, it certainly sounds like that's the intention, um, especially with that omnibus bill that they're talking about, which is eventually going to allow agencies and ministries to be able to share data via Padu.
3: Yeah, you know, I think uh, these ambitions have been around for some time now. We thought, we remember the conversation around mysa Jatra, not only dealing with uh, COVID-related issues, but also NCDs. That somehow uh, this would be uh, a way in which uh, the Ministry of Health, at least, could be able to, uh, could avail itself of all kinds of information that could help drive campaigns, uh, dr- drive health public health policies better and so on and so forth. So I I think that uh, the potential is recognized by leaders within various ministries in in terms of how evidence-based or data-driven policymaking can happen. Um, The
2: question is whether they can get the public on board. An anonymous listener says, the income tax declaration season is around the corner uh, sometime in April. Why couldn't Padu have waited for this period instead of needing the citizens to fill up two systems? E- you know, I think that there's some there's some uh, conflating or perhaps even confusion um, happening here uh, because this is the second time uh, that LHDN has been brought up. Um, and I think part of this might be that it's such an ever-present factor in our lives that every year... Do or die, you're going to have to go fill up that website form. Um, But I I think that actually they do, at least as of now, they do two very different things.
3: Yeah, but th- there's another problem with the tax system, I think, is that because uh, we know our tax base is tiny, right? It's like 15%. Yes. I don't know if it's so grown. it doesn't
2: encompass everyone who would benefit from a targeted subsidy. Yeah,
3: well, I mean, every working person is supposed to be filling in these uh, tax forms, making their declarations, regardless of whether they are taxed at the end of the day. But because not all of us are, um, are in the system, uh, you know, maybe the tax system can't be a proxy for the kind of work that the government wants to do through PADU. And so um, that would be my non-expert, outsider, complete novice view of uh, or response to that question.
2: We do have a voice note that's come in. This is Aaron.
3: Good evening, BFM. So regarding
1: about PADU system. Okay, first thing that I understand about this system is basically a centralised database system from the government that collects data Uh, from all the citizens all over Malaysia so that it will be much more easier for them to identify who is qualified to receive the subsidy so this is uh, one thing that I know so my concern about this PADU system is is this thing safe because you are collecting data you are centralizing all the government database into one system which is PADU I mean, what, what, is the, what are the proper measures from the authority, from the government, or from DOSM uh, in order to make sure that there won't be any leakage of the data? Because you all know, I mean, recently there are, there are few cases uh, happens that is related to Padu. Like, first and foremost, you can take someone else IC and just register for the system, which impose a huge security risk and some of them can even use the someone else IC to set up the password. So, uh, I mean, in a way, it doesn't really give enough confidence for the public. I mean, there are people who actually say that if I give my data to this Padu system, it means government government will have my data. Okay, that's fine. But what if some hackers have it? What if they leak out the data? It has happened before. I hope the government can, you know, give us a, 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 a assurance, lah. You know, give us a confidence. Thank you.
2: Uh, Erin, thank you for your voice note. Actually, we have a message uh, from Hong that's come in that's related to this as well. So Hong says, regarding data security, there's unavoidable risk and unnecessary risk. The best way to not get into a road accident is to not use roads, but that's not practical. So we do and accept a certain degree of risk. That, however, is very different from driving 160 kilometers an hour on a highway while blindfolded. Padu, in its current iteration, is more one than the other. So I just wanted to say that um, Shiraz, I hope I'm not speaking on your behalf, but neither myself nor Sharada are equipped to answer questions around data and tech security. Am I wrong?
3: No, you're absolutely <laughs> right. And I think I just made that declaration just now. Yes. But, um, but
2: I did want to say that our guest earlier, Dr. Lao Chir um, actually did address concerns around um, data security and And what are the measures that are put in place? So, if you missed that part of the interview, um, I I think it's actually well worth uh, listening to the podcast when it's out. Yeah,
3: you know, I think so. This is the other thing, Shamila. I wonder sometimes government in its communications gets things uh, kind of uh, they put the cart before the horse, as it were, which is that. which is the, the problem of confidence, right? Do you do the confidence building after you launch a system or should you actually begin with a campaign that builds confidence before you launch a system and therefore you'll get greater buy-in and less questions um, when in fact you do the launch?
2: You know I I agree with you that part of this is communication but I say that with the awareness and and this is as um you know as people who regularly have to kind of communicate difficult complicated concepts to the public in a way that makes sense and is relatable that issues around data security and so on are actually quite difficult to to communicate in a way that makes sense to the layperson and I say that as a layperson largely myself and Part of the problem here is that I think people hear hackers and data security and um, database and storage and and it all sits almost in the same basket if you don't know what exactly those things mean. Um, So I do think that the communication is important, but it's also perhaps not very easy to do. Yeah, none of these things... And especially when you want buy-in. Yeah, you want buy-in. And, you know, I think that,
3: you know, the paradox always for me is that the people most likely to have all these tough questions uh, are not necessarily the people who are... The, the primary targets of these systems, right? So in terms of targeted subsidies or working with the B40 or the, uh, the, the poor and the marginalized in the country that are not getting the help that they they could and they should rightly get, um, we don't have and don't hear enough for them. So I would be very curious to know how much outreach is happening in rural Malaysia, how much of it's happening in marginal communities that live in our forested areas that are outside you know even like the range of an FM radio station are they being engaged with and and because chances are they're the ones who need this help
2: engaged with um, both before because you need to decide what would be helpful how um, how best to go about it but also after to make sure they know how to use this database that's meant to benefit them. Uh, we will actually be talking about effectiveness, execution, and um, in a larger sense, where a system like Padu fits into this um Uh, idea of digital infrastructure and for that after the break we will be speaking with Dr Rachel Gong of the Kazana Research Institute but in the meantime do keep your thoughts coming we are asking you uh, what your thoughts are on Padu, whether you've registered you can call us, you can send us a voice note you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9
1: Be free-minded BFM 89.9
0: the business station
2: it is 707 you're listening to inside story with sharmila and sharad and we've been talking about padu and asking you what your thoughts are on this new database have you registered you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or whatsapp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine tweet us at bfm radio um we, we are going to now expand the conversation to talk about, um, well, effectiveness, what we want to see from the system and where PADU fits in within our larger uh, digital infrastructure when it comes to governance. So for that, we are now joined by Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at the Kazana Research Institute. Rachel, good to have you with us. Hi,
0: thanks for having me.
2: So we've been talking about it for the past hour, but we do want to hear your thoughts. What do you make of PADU so far?
0: Uh, Well, I think, you know, in principle, broadly speaking, a federated database of government data, um, what PADU is trying to do by having population demographics and other data that would be useful for policy making, that's a very good idea. Um, Pulling in data from across government agencies can really help a lot with policy design and program development. So I think the idea behind PADU is a very good one. But as people often say, the devil's in the details. And um, some of the details that I think uh, really need to be considered and taken very seriously are, number one, governance. Uh, And this means thinking beyond just cybersecurity. So we have to think about how will the data be governed in terms of access and storage and deletion, especially as you keep collecting data over time and pulling it from different places. Uh, what, What will the data be used for, really? And who's the person in charge? who takes responsibility if something goes awry, if something goes wrong? What will be the contingency plans? So governance is one. Um, And as we can see, implementation is another. So how rigorously do you test a system? How rigorously do you test a new component of the system before you roll it out? How do you keep making sure that um, servers and cybersecurity can be upgraded and scaled over time? Where are the redundancies in making sure that data is always going to be accessible when you need it? That's the second thing. Um, And the third detail, really, I think is, um, you know, when it involves such a large uh, user base of the public, is public communication and really building public trust. So what do we have to do to get buy-in from the public for such a system? How do we build trust in the system? So it's tough at the moment, I think, to get a handle on what this will really look like for Padu, you know, both long-term and and even now in the moment as it's being rolled out. Um, If I look at the data that Padu is meant to collect, I'm also thinking, okay, so all this data is kind of going to be verified by various government agencies. So it's kind of already with the government agencies. So what's the advantage um, of having this new federated database that requires a new sign-in, a new account, and manual updates of data entry that will be cross-checked against existing data? Why not just have something where you have this data updated and connected in the administrative back-end? So that's that's a lot of like pros and cons, basically.
2: Actually, Rachel, um, we do have a message from CG um, that is asking why uh, Padu hadn't been integrated with LHDN. And this is something that many listeners earlier brought up as well. And CG goes on to say, if it is for subsidy, it should be integrated with LHDN, as this is based on your income and household expenses. And all Malaysians should have a tax file number, whether they qualify to pay tax or not. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Right, So that that becomes a different issue, right, around how... um A taxpayer's number, a TIN, a tax individual's number, is going to be governed and whether we want to have that. So in theory, in in an ideal system, of course, everybody who kind of enters the workforce should have such a number. But in the absence of that number, uh, what's a means of identifying people and recording them in the system? Right now, what Malaysia has is a MyCard and that's what is being used um, to consolidate across, or to use as an identifier across all the different government agencies. Uh, Pros and cons, again, with that, because the MyCard number itself gives out a lot of personal information just in the way that it's structured. So one could argue that, you know, a taxpayer identification number would really be a more uh, private, more secure way of identifying people, and maybe that should have been considered as well in the development and design of what the identification should look like.
3: Now, you know, one of the stated aims, at least, uh, that's out there in the public, is that Padu, uh wants to uh, create or ensure that there's an efficient delivery of subsidies. Could you help us understand, you know, what challenges there have been uh, in terms of targeted subsidy deliveries that have been there in the past, and do you think PADU is going to be able to address
0: them? Sure. So, you know, basically when you have a subsidy for something that is, you know, in in high demand and that's purchased by a a wide proportion of the community, so something like fuel subsidies, right, petrol, the easiest way to implement the subsidy is a blanket subsidy. So everything that's being sold, all sales um, will be subsidized. It doesn't matter who's buying it. And what happens sometimes, uh, a lot of the times perhaps, is that uh, this subsidy tends to be disproportionately benefiting the group of people who don't need it. So in, in the case of petrol, it means that people who are likely to have you know, fuel-guzzling cars um, and are going to buy more petrol and get more of the subsidy are people who can already afford expensive cars. So I think the statistic that's often quoted with respect to petrol subsidies is the T20, the top 20% of um, Malaysians, receive more than 50% of the blanket fuel subsidies. So this isn't equitable. And one of the things that ADU is meant to do is to try to you know, try to identify um, people who I need. Because the problem with um, targeted subsidies is it's very difficult to identify the people who need a subsidy. So in the case of petrol, it's not like you can identify on site who might need subsidies at the petrol pump. So the solution then is, OK, let's just raise, remove the blanket subsidies, sell all petrol at a higher price, and then use some other sort of identifier, for example, um, you know, household income, to give a trust, a cash transfer or a patrol voucher to people who might need a patrol subsidy. But what becomes complicated about that is, OK, fine, you have your baseline today. Uh, let's say you decide only people with, you know, incomes less than minimum wage, so less than 1,500 ringgit per month should get the subsidy. But how do you you know manage and keep track of that over time? What if somebody gets promoted and then no longer needs a subsidy? What if somebody with precarious income one month needs the subsidy and one month doesn't? So with something like Padu in theory, you've got an updated, you know constantly maintained database of information that will allow real-time tracking of all that. I think the, there are two issues there. Uh, number one, you put a lot of the responsibility of maintaining this updated information, on the individual and of course the individual is incentivized to get subsidies. Um, so, you know, the idea that if you have self-entered manually updated updated data that's going to be checked against LHDN anyway, again, like, we come back to the question of why do we need people to manually put things in instead of using administrative data in order to do so. What's what's a way to think about having administrative data do that if what you want to do is target subsidies?
3: Yeah, just for clarification, uh, you know, are you suggesting that people would be incentivized to um, underreport their income because then they would effectively, if they put the real income, they would be effectively outside the the subsidy group?
0: It's hard to say because um, I think you know, if you're looking at self-interested incentive incentives, that's a possibility. But the argument with Padu is it's meant to be checked against LHDN data which again, if you're not already registered in LHDN, then how do you verify this? So there's a lot of questions around how this all will work in the back end that I don't have all the answers to, um, but I'm interested in seeing if the system is going to work. So what are the
2: benefits then, uh, as well as the risks of a system that centralises all this data under one roof?
0: Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit when we talk about centralising data under one roof, because as, as I understand it, um, Okay, well, let me start first with this idea of having centralized data under one roof. So that would mean that you've got, say, one giant server, one big computer, um, literally in one warehouse, and that will hold all the data that you're interested in, for all the people that you're interested in, um, over all the time that you're interested in that, right? But as people keep generating more and more data, or as the population increases and all that, you're going to run out of space, just like any storeroom, you're going to run out of space to hold this data, so what people are doing now, and I think this is what Pardue is doing, is talking about a federated database, where this is really kind of a virtual space where all the data can be used um, and processed together, but still the individual data is held separately in different places. So it's actually a decentralized database. And that's a little bit more scalable because you can just put the servers wherever you need them as and when you need them. And so from a security perspective, Um, What that means is that you have to, well, on the one hand, it means that you have to protect multiple places and multiple servers. Um, On the other hand, it means that you don't have all your eggs, all your data in one data basket, as it were. And that's probably a good thing. So the pros um, of having this federated system means that you can still use all the data, uh, even though you don't need to store it in one place. And that's a good thing from a security perspective.
2: Rachel, uh, we are going to take a quick break, but um, we will be back after this. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at the Kazana Research Institute, about PADU. Uh, Do send your thoughts through as well uh, and keep it here. BFM 89.9. Banish feudal mentality.
1: BFM 89.9. The Business Station.
2: It's 7.18, you're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're continuing our conversation on the newly launched PADU database with Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at the Kazana Research Institute. Um, Rachel, just to dive back in, uh, we've got a couple of people um, bringing up the question of uh, the PDPA because uh, Dr. Imran says, um, it seems best if the current PDPA Act is extended to government and government agencies um, as this will ensure correct and secure policies are in place to protect citizen data, and action can be taken if there are leaks. Um, Nash, meanwhile, says uh, my only concern with Padu is that the accountability in case of data breaches uh, will not be covered since the government is not deemed responsible under the PDPA. Um, what are your thoughts on this?
0: I, I think I, you know. I think uh, those comments are absolutely spot on. Uh, the current uh, writing of the PDPA really only covers, not, not even that it doesn't include government data, they're absolutely right in that reading of it, it doesn't cover government data, but it also only covers data in commercial transactions. So technically, even any database that is sitting there, but not the data is not being used in a commercial transaction, the PDPA doesn't cover that. So 100%, um, you know, it, it's time for a, a review and a revision of the PDPA, which is underway. Um, I would say, though, that the PDPA is only one part of a more comprehensive data governance framework, um, which should look not just into government data um, that we're talking about and personal, I personally identifying information, personal data, that sort of thing. It also does need to look into data that's owned by the private sector that isn't being used for um, commercial transactions. So this includes all the sort of you know, consumer and marketing data that's being collected now and being shipped into you know, big data algorithms and, and artificial intelligence to do all manner of predictions and, and checks and things like that. And such a data governance framework should really include um, regulations around data access, uh, data storage, um, of course, data security and, and things like that, and, and even data deletion, looking at when we decide that it might be time to delete some of these data or at least allow people who want to opt out of the system a way to delete their data. Uh, There should be a right to information law, um, you know, an audit trail for people who are accessing the data. So if we think about Padu, for example, what we want to see, I think, is a right to information law, uh, data access regulations, and an audit trail for whoever is accessing their data, as well as enforceable penalties for misuse. So if I, as a Padu user, suspect that someone might be misusing my data, I can actually check to see the audit trail of who's accessing it and what they might be using it for and then follow up as needed.
3: So, Rachel, uh, the economic minister Rafizi Ramli has said that the government will push for an omnibus act. Um, is this, in some sense, a signal that the government is well aware of the framework, both legislative and regulatory framework, uh, and the concerns that you just addressed? Uh, you know that there needs to be somehow um, we need legislation to kind of strengthen that. Is, is that what you, you're reading in Rafizi's uh, statement?
0: I hope so. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the Act, so I can't comment on the specifics, obviously, but in theory, it should fill this hole of um, overarching data governance. So um, a couple of years back here, I actually put out a series of papers on um, open government data and basically, you know, try to map out what sort of regulations and rules apply to different government agencies. And the long and short of it is there are many... And they are inconsistent and so there isn't this overarching thing uh the most overarching rule is really the official secrets act which basically says each government agency can decide how they want to manage their data so hopefully with the omnibus act coming in this should address some of those concerns and that will go hand in hand i hope with the freedom of information act that cabinet has you know agreed in principle um to enact and i think you know the the legal affairs Department of Legal Defense Division and the PMO is already working on that. So hopefully, you know, having those two hand in hand will close this gap. So
2: moving forward, what should be considered to make sure that PADU remains effective as well as relevant in the long run?
0: Uh, Well, in my opinion, um, two things at least. I think the first thing is that as, you know, the, the intention of this consolidated government database, PADU really has to go beyond subsidy targeting and social protection. And I think that that's the intention. It is intended to go beyond the cash transfers and subsidy targeting. I've read that it can be used for crisis management, um, disaster relief, budget planning, and and all those sorts of things. And I hope um, that it will be used for public interest in in many ways. And I think one way to to keep it relevant, to keep it effective is to allow allow access, to allow non-government researchers access to anonymized data, within the system, again, you know, with all the proper safeguards to really maximise its potential and try to study how we can, you know, develop better policies, how we can spur innovation and, and develop new new tools and technological um, advances and things like that using this kind of data. Um, so that's the first one. Um, the second one, I think, is really, if you want it to be effective, if you want it to be relevant for the public, we have to get public buy-in. We have to improve public trust. So right now, it does seem like you know, is it's optional, Uh, it's targeted at those who want to know if they qualify for government programs. But this seems to me, uh, a little bit of the wrong incentive. I think we really need to to push this idea that if we want a federated personal records database to be truly useful, uh, much like the census, it has to represent the whole population. So you want, you know, your T20s and your T1s and all that to register as well. And one way for the government to really try to get buy-in on this is to lead by example. So to have you know your cabinet, your MP uh, register for party. You get them to update their profiles and kind of set the example for the public.
3: Rachel, very quick. Um, do you think there should be a timeline on the delivery of all these things—the frameworks, the legislation, uh, the communications? What would you like to see as a as a kind of endpoint for all this to come together?
0: I would love for the. Pro- I mean. You know, we always want to see a timeline, but we know how difficult it is to stick to that when it comes to policy making because of all the all the different competing interests. I would love to see priority given, however, to this um, data governance framework. I'd like to see the regulations and laws come out, kind of ahead of of a lot of the the technical. It's hard to put the genie back in the box, right? So I'd like to see the rules before more of the rollout happens before you see things like cybersecurity or improper use of data and there's no way to get that back. Let's have the rules first and then think about, okay, now, yeah, this use of the data does meet with does fit within the regulations. This is acceptable. This is fine. And if it isn't, then there's, you know, a contingency plan or there's a, a sort of a complaints process that can be followed up on and things like that.
2: Rachel, thanks for speaking with us today.
0: Thank you for
2: having me. That was Dr. Rachel Gong, Deputy Director of Research at the Kazana Research Institute, weighing in on PADU, the uh, database that was launched yesterday. Keep your thoughts coming. You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us, and keep it here, BFM 89.9.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app,